Hi, I'm Wilson Gall. And I'm Ellie Roark. You're listening to the Fledgling Theories podcast. We are bringing you the latest in bird research. Feel free to find us on Twitter at FledgeCast and participate in our conversation here about this study. So today we're going to be talking about an article published in Global Change Biology in 2017 called The Sensitivity of Breeding Songbirds to Changes in Seasonal Timing is Linked to Population Change but cannot be directly attributed to the effects of trophic asynchrony on productivity. Can I, can I just point out that I have the article printed here in front of us? That title takes up four lines. Yeah. <laughs> it's a paragraph we'll, we'll unpack that title as we go here, don't worry. <laughs> uh, but basically the gist of this article is that they, uh, there's evidence of kind of a mismatch between... Um, the advance of spring with global climate change and the timing of uh, birds migrating and breeding and uh, raising and fledging young. And well, yeah, I mean, it's not only with birds. There's, sure, there's, yeah, there, this article a, focuses on birds. But, this yeah. article focuses on birds, but the phenomenon of all kinds of organisms doing things in response to the season. And as the seasons sort of start earlier, the organisms start doing their things earlier. Right, exactly. So it's well studied with spring, with plants and with insects and other invertebrates and with birds, where on warmer springs, trees bud earlier, flowers open earlier, all these things. On colder springs, all that happens later. Right, so the question is, how are different levels of the food web affected by differences in timing? So if plants bud earlier and insects emerge um, earlier, but birds migrate uh, at the same time as usual, how does that affect the bird's ability to breed and, and be successful? So there has been plenty of other work on, phenology is the word that that they use and it, that just means like the timing of life cycle events that happen in a, you know in regular patterns um, there's been plenty of work on the timing of life cycle events in relation to the seasons and especially in birds uh, and there's all sorts of correlations because these are generally observational studies you can't well you i suppose you could do experimental studies but it would be a, a challenging to do an experimental study where you you know like on an ecosystem scale where you change the temperature and try to make spring happen earlier. Right. Mostly we're looking at what's actually happening in the real world and, and just trying to make the best sense out of it that we can. <laughs> yeah. And anytime you have observational studies like that, um, you can find correlations. We know both things are happening and they, like, they might seem to be related to each other, but you can't be as sure as causation. You can't be as sure of causation. Because in, in an experimental approach where you manipulate something, you can get a much stronger sense of causation because you sort of set up your experiment, you see what's happening, and then you change one thing. And when you change that one thing, if you see something happen in response to that, you know that that was sort of a causal effect. Right. When you have control of all the variables, you can manipulate a single variable to figure out what the effect of that variable is in the in the whole system when when you have a natural system and we're just looking at what's happening we don't even know what all the variables are necessarily let alone what they're doing yeah and you certainly can't manipulate them and, and try to change them to prove a causative 
effect. So, so that's been done a lot. There's lot. There's all kinds of studies looking at correlations um, with seasonal timing things. Right, because this is a phenomenon that we expect to be um, important, especially moving forward because of global climate change. So, timing. Um, of all kinds of species relationships, this asynchrony that the article refers to a lot is is likely to be important for a number of organisms going forward. What makes this article interesting, I think, is they try to move beyond the correlations and try to find a causative mechanistic link uh, relating the, the asynchrony of, of life cycle events between food levels to bird population trends. So. So they have a, a correlation between um, mismatch of phenology or mismatch of life cycle events and population trends, but they want to know exactly how does that mismatch in timing cause population trends to go down. And so they try to get that mechanistic link, uh, and they assume that that is coming through productivity, which is, in this case, basically how many baby birds you produce. Right. So high productivity is where you you know, there are, say, uh, from one nest, five baby birds that come out, and low productivity might be from one nest where one baby bird comes out and actually, like, you know... Or none. Or none. <laughs> yeah. So, so how many birds actually fledge and sort of grow up old enough to do the migration and sort of enter the population? Yeah. And so, well, what they found here uh, is that that causative mechanistic link that they hypothesized between uh, asynchrony and productivity uh, causing changes in population trends uh, wasn't there. They hypothesized that the asynchrony has effects on productivity and that the effects on productivity cause the changes in the population trends. It turns out, um, in their results that we'll get into more detail later, there's a correlation between population trends and asynchrony but that doesn't seem to be caused by productivity, which means there's some other causative mechanism. Right. So, so the birds, the population of birds that are experiencing this mismatch in timing with the rest of spring is going down. But... Yeah, those populations are going down. Right. But it's not necessarily because they're not being successful in their nesting attempts. Yeah, it's not because they're producing fewer babies. Right. So let's just kind of step back and let's just talk about sort of what has, what do we already know about phenology or the, the timing of spring and all the different organisms, the timing of spring and ecosystems and those relationships? Yeah, so we know that climate change is making things warmer on a global scale. And so that's likely leading to an advance of uh, phenology changes uh, across all trophic levels, we might call them. Um, we call them in science, but... Uh, spring is happening earlier. Right. Sp <laughs> spring is happening earlier. Yeah, that's the thing. But the uh, spring happening earlier might not be affecting all levels of the food web in exactly the same way. Yeah. And in fact, it doesn't. So right. it, it seems we to know be, that it doesn't. <laughs> it seems to be that um, lower levels of the food chain advance more. They, they're basically able to track temperature changes more. So if it gets warm earlier, the very bottom of the food chain, the, the plants will respond to that 
really well and they'll uh, get their buds out much, much earlier. The next trophic level up, some of the you know invertebrates that eat the plants can't keep track quite as well as the plants can. So they, they adjust, but they don't adjust as much as the plants. Right, and you can imagine then that, that birds, especially maybe migrant birds that are coming from farther away, have an even more removed level of sensitivity to that to those changes. So if you're migrating from South America, what's happening in South America might not reflect the the changes in uh, North America that have caused the flowers to bud and the insects to emerge. And so you might not get the cues to start your migration earlier. So in terms of this timing of spring, the reason this matters for migratory birds, um, especially in the northern hemisphere, is that they migrate north basically so that they can feed insects and other invertebrates to their babies. Because you get spring happens in the north, all the plants come out, then all the invertebrates come out to eat the plants, and then there's this huge uh, feast of insects and caterpillars and, and spiders and all sorts of things, and birds can uh, feed that feast of insects to their babies at the time when the babies are trying to grow really quickly. So the babies need a lot of food at that time, and there's a lot of food out there in the form of invertebrates. Right, so what you're hoping for is a match between your babies being hungry little nestlings who need a lot of food and the kind of peak abundance of invertebrates hanging out all over the place. It has been hypothesized or predicted that mismatches in timing will be worst for birds that have to migrate the farthest. And the reason for this is that if you only have to migrate a couple hundred miles, say you're going to Wisconsin, or a bird that is going to breed in Wisconsin, but overwinters, say, in Texas or something, a couple hundred miles, maybe the weather is similar enough that when they feel it warming up in Texas, they can say, ah, it's time to go, and they start flying, and that same weather pattern basically is relevant for Vermont or for Wisconsin. Yeah. And so, um, so they're able to use cues that they, f that they feel in Texas that are relevant for Wisconsin. Now this is different from a bird who's coming, say, from the southern half of South America and going to Wisconsin. The weather that they feel way down in the southern half of South America uh, might not be, in fact, probably isn't a very good indicator of what the weather is in Wisconsin. Right. And so they might have to rely on different cues to start their migration. Yeah, so when we talk about asynchrony or this mismatch, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, basically. like. Uh, to what extent is the timing off between the bird migration, the bird receiving the cues to head north and start breeding and all that, um, and spring actually happening? Yeah. It, we don't know exactly what all the cues are that birds use to start migration. Might yeah. be good if we can find some good articles on that, we could do a podcast. But, yeah. you know, if, if they do it in response to temperature or something, that's one thing. If they decide to start their migration uh, in response to sort of the length of daylight, that's a different thing. Because if they're doing it in response to temperature, in theory there shouldn't be any problem because as things get warmer, they'll just start migrating earlier. Right. But if they're doing it in response to the length of daylight or something, they're going to keep migrating at the same time. But if temperatures are getting warmer, they're going to arrive basically farther through the spring effectively. Um, yep, so food abundance might be less by the time they get up there and then... Um you know, who knows? Basically, populations <laughs> decline, and the question is, 
why exactly? What is the, the causative link between missing that timing and your population declining? So this, these study authors mentioned a few things about um, why they were doing this study. They, first of all, they say that there have been several recent mechanistic studies identifying relationships between avian phenology and productivity, but they have failed to find any resulting impact on population size. So basically what they're saying is there have been a couple studies, and they cite them in the article, that find that when the timing is off, that results in lower productivity, fewer babies, but that that doesn't, that in these other studies has not caused uh, population declines, yeah. which is a little peculiar. And that just means that there's something else that's more important in the population trend than how many babies make it to be, you know, one year old. Right. Um, there could be any number of other things that, that we can talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps adults are, adult mortality is really high or, or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing they said is that so far there's no robust evidence linking changes in asynchrony between birds and their prey to broad scale variation in productivity or population trends. So uh, this kind of surprised me, but, but evidently they think that there's not really good strong evidence yet linking the asynchrony specifically to productivity and population trends. So there you go. Yeah, so all that's saying is that we don't have strong evidence for the intuitive conclusion that asynchrony is bad for bird populations. Yeah, intuitively it makes sense. Right. Evidently there's not evidence showing that yet. Yeah. So this study was, was in the UK using 21 species of birds, and they were relating that to just like a general sort of composite measure of spring stuff that was based on plant uh, flowering and budding and aphids from some aphid monitoring, moths caught in light traps, and butterflies uh, counted on a citizen science butterfly monitoring program. So they took all those sort of invertebrate and plant things, and that was sort of the measure of spring, and then they had the bird data and they compared it to that measure of spring. Yeah, and they were focusing on passerine species here, so, so focusing on the little perching birds that are eating invertebrates, you know, not not raptors or anything like that that are hunting larger prey. And for the birds, they, they focus on egg-laying date. Uh, and this is maybe a little more relevant than migration arrival because in terms of timing, it doesn't really matter when the birds arrive for migration. What really matters is the timing of those baby birds hatching because that's when you need the, the insects. So egg-laying date is kind of a more precise measure of, what, of, of the timing in the spring that actually matters for bird productivity. Hmm. Um, and so they, they have a couple predictions or hypotheses. The first is that uh, the bird species that, are, that advance their egg-laying dates the most over time will have the most positive population trends. So the ones that start laying earlier, the most earlier, will have the best population trends, most positive population trends. Their second prediction or hypothesis is that asynchrony will increase with warmer temperatures and this, again, is because the lower levels of the food chain will adjust more than the higher levels. So the, the insects will adjust more to warm springs than the birds will, which means the warmer the temperatures, the bigger the difference between the birds and the insects. And they predict, uh, sort of according to, I guess, what is, would be the common wisdom right now, that the long-distance migrants 
will be most affected by this, presumably because they're least able to uh, adjust the timing of their migration quickly in response to weather in the breeding grounds. Right. Uh, and then they look for this mechanistic pathway and they, they predict that the associations um, between population trend and asynchrony will be driven by this mechanistic pathway uh, of productivity. Yeah. So okay. a, a mismatch in spring timing between the birds and their food causes fewer babies to be born. Sure. And that causes the population to go down. That's the mechanistic trend. And this is different from, from what's already known that the mismatch in the timing between the birds and the prey causes the population to go down. That correlation we know about, but the question is why. And they're trying to, to demonstrate that the why is that fewer babies are born when that food is, is not timed right. So the, they've, they sort of use a bunch of different data from all over the place. We already talked about the bird and insect and, and citizen science butterfly data that they use for sort of the spring phenology timing. The bird productivity data they get from bird banding or ringing um, using netting and that's just sort of a measure of, this is at the end of the uh, breeding season, it's a measure of how many juveniles there are compared to how many adults there are, proportion of adults to juveniles basically. So in a really successful year where lots of baby birds make it, there'll be a lot of juveniles compared to the number of, of adults. And in a bad year when not many baby birds make it, there'll be fewer. Right. They broke birds down into three migration distance categories in order to evaluate whether there was a difference in the response to asynchrony between those three migration categories. So they they have long distance migrants who come from below the Sahara Desert uh, in Africa. They have short distance migrants who come from elsewhere in Europe and um, migrate to the UK, and then they had residents who are maintain residents in the UK all year round. And that was again to test the prediction that long distance migrants should do worse. Right, exactly. So we talked a little bit, you kind of summarized initially what they found um, at the outset, Wilson, but what did they find specifically about that mechanistic relationship in terms of productivity and asynchrony? Well, first of all, they found the expected relationship between asynchrony and population trends. So birds that were mismatched with spring the most had the worst population trends. Right. That was expected, and they found it, sure enough. Yeah. Um, they found that productivity was significantly lower uh, in years when, when the bird breeding was later compared to the insects and everything else. So when there's more asynchrony, productivity is lower in that year. That was expected, but it was a really weak relationship, yep. much weaker than they expected. And finally, most surprisingly, they looked at the birds that seemed to be most sensitive to the asynchrony in terms of productivity at the yearly level. So the birds where that, that really took a hit in productivity when they were, when the timing was off. They looked at those birds and said, are those the birds that have the lowest productivity trends over a long time period. It's something like 20 or 30 years. It's sort of making the connection between asynchrony and productivity in one year, and that connection member was there but weak, and then making that connection a little farther to productivity trends over two or three decades. And they didn't find that. Yep. 
that relationship is, is just not there. Another thing they expected to find but didn't was that difference between long-distance migrants and residents and mid-distance migrants. They found that the population decline, um, the correlation between asynchrony and population decline was the same across all those groups. On the whole, they found that uh, birds in the UK have advanced the timing of breeding about um, a quarter of a day per year since 1983. So the birds are getting earlier. Not by much. <laughs> Not by much. About a quarter of a day per year is, is a fair bit. Yeah. The birds are getting earlier. The ones that are able to adjust most have the best population trends over the 30 years, but not necessarily the best productivity trends. Right. Yeah, so that might be for a number of reasons. Like, I mean, like I was kind of speculating earlier, if it might be to the benefit of a little passerine adult to spend all its energy feeding its kids at the expense of its own life and self and and therefore it might have a highly productive nest but then the adult bird is compromised and dies the adult mortality is high yeah and there have been studies that have seen that before where uh, successful breeding sometimes results in the adults being in worse condition when they start the fall migration because they put so much effort into it yeah exactly so it could be i mean you know the it could be that that the reason there's not this mechanistic link through sort of productivity between the asynchrony and the population trends is that productivity just isn't what matters most for population trends in these species. So maybe it's the adult survival that matters most for the population trends. Or maybe it's not how many uh, baby birds you manage to produce, but it's how many manage to make it back the next year to breed. Mm, We call that recruitment into the breeding population. Right. Um, Any number of things, but, but it seems that there's some other mechanism um, underlying that correlation between asynchrony and population that's not driven directly by productivity. Yeah. Another thing that, I've, that I'm curious about in this study is that their, their kind of proxy for spring phenology, their index that they compiled of, of all this data, wasn't specific necessarily to bird food sources. Um, it was very generalized for all of spring, and so I what, would be interested to see. Yeah, what it was was specific to data sets that are available. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's not, you know, yeah. it's not like you can just walk out your front door and find a good data set on insects over the past 30 years. Right. Um, these to, to have a long-term monitoring data set is actually kind of rare. And so the data sets they use, the aphids that I mentioned, are from the Roth Amstead Research Uh, station suction traps. So this is a long-term agricultural research monitoring program in the UK where they have basically big vacuums that vacuum the air and anything flying around, you know, any little insects get sucked in. So that's where they got the aphids. And they use the the butterfly monitoring scheme, right? Yeah, that's a a long-term citizen science scheme in the UK, uh, recording butterflies again over decades. Um, and And they have a similar Roth Amstead light trap thing for moths and then there's a citizen there's a um a uk phenology network that looks at plants and i think that's at least a partly a citizen science scheme too if i recall correctly i'm not sure Hmm. Um, i'm pretty sure some botanic gardens are involved with that uh, but i think there are also some just individual citizens contributing to that that's neat so basically yeah as you say it's it's the data sets that you have which are not necessarily the most relevant food sources for the birds. Although the fact that they have moths and butterflies seems good because a lot of caterpillars get fed to baby birds. Yeah, they do. (laughs) A lot of caterpillars. 
That's true, yeah. But but you have to wonder about other kinds of insects that aren't present here, you know, um, ants and spiders and all kinds of other things that we know birds eat. Yeah, definitely. The authors were speculating a little bit on why that relationship between the asynchrony and the, and the productivity was so much weaker than they expected. Um, one thing they noted is that their measure of uh, the... The, their measure of spring here for the, the insects, the aphids and the moths and butterflies and everything, looked at the first flight dates, basically, or the first occurrence of those things. So it's when did the first butterfly get seen. Uh, and it, these are not necessarily, in part because the, the data sets might not have abundance information, these are not estimates of the total amount of butterflies or aphids or whatever out there. And obviously, from a bird's perspective, what matters most is not whether there's one lonely early caterpillar out there. What matters most is that there's a lot of caterpillars. So, right. so the sort of the more direct measure would, that you'd like to have is some sort of measure of the abundance of the invertebrates. Yep. But they didn't have that. They only have the sort of first appearance. Uh, so maybe if you had that abundance measure, maybe that the relationship between timing and productivity would be a little stronger. It would line up a little better, yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. It is hard um, to say. Like it, it probably wouldn't make a huge difference. You know, if there's a really strong relationship there, it would have been seen in this study, I yeah. think. So it seems like in the end, these uh, authors took a pretty good crack at, <laughs> at a, a potential mechanistic connection, um, but they may not have quite solved the problem, figured out the, the causative relationship there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's really cool. You know, there's all these sorts of correlations that um, we've have sort of been seen pretty regularly now. And so, so now the next question is really, what are the exact causative pathways? Uh, and it looks like productivity isn't one of them, yeah. at least for UK birds. Yeah. And that's surprising. Yeah, and I wonder if you were able to do this, if you did this at a smaller scale, where you were able to more directly measure the birds' specific nests, you know, a bunch of factors of the, like, the breeding phenology really specifically to the individuals that you were studying and a bunch of factors of the phenology of the invertebrate community in that location. Like if you just brought the scale down, you might be able to look at those relationships in a, in a, a different way or a more clear way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. The measure that they used of that, re- the, the productivity measure, the ratio of the juveniles to the adults in those mist nets is a measure basically during fall migration. It's after the populations have already kind of mixed a bit. Right. And so there's definitely the possibility that at a more local context, in one little area, there was really high productivity. A lot of birds fledged in another area, there was low productivity, all the nests failed. Um, but, but then you sort of get those populations mixing and you catch just kind of a mix of birds in the mist nets. So it's, yeah, it'd be very interesting too, if you're going for those causative mechanistic pathways to be able to see at a more uh, local level what exactly is the relationship between productivity of, of any given nest yeah. sort of the available forage habitat. Might be a discussion for or a topic for further discussion on another day. Yeah, we'll see if we can find a see if we can find a study about that out yeah. there somewhere. So if you want to find out more about this article The title again is The Sensitivity of Breeding Songbirds to Changes in Seasonal Timing is Linked to Population Change 
but cannot be directly attributed to the effects of trophic asynchrony on productivity. By Samantha Franks and colleagues, this was published in Global Change Biology uh, 2018. The DOI is 10.1111 gcb.13960. The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. I'm at University College Dublin in the Ecological Modeling Group of John Yearsley. If you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie/ecomodel.